Hello, Taiwan This Week podcast listeners. Keith Mancona here. Today, we're going to be bringing you some additional election coverage from an election roundtable ICRT put together in partnership with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. It's a little thing that we are calling the ICRT 2016 Presidential Election Roundtable. And it's kind of a follow-up to the last roundtable event that we held back in November in partnership with the European Chamber of Commerce Taiwan. This latest one took place on Tuesday, January 12th at the Howard Civil Service International House in Taipei. It was hosted by Gavin Phipps of ICRT News and featured a broad range of panelists. On the one hand, we had party representatives from Taiwan's three major political parties. Uh, they were there to kind of give us a sense of the party's perspective on what this election will mean for Taiwan. And then on the other end of things, we were joined by two political scientists who broke it down for us more in political terms. Kind of gave us the uh, bird's eye view of the thing. Basically there to keep us honest. Real quick note before we get rolling. Uh, this was recorded just four days before the actual election. So because of Taiwan election laws, uh, we actually were not allowed to talk about polling numbers. So uh, don't be expecting any of that. Uh, but let's quickly move right into it then and introduce the panelists we're going to be hearing from in this next hour. Representing the KMT, we've got Eric Huang, who you may remember from our last roundtable event. He is the international spokesman for the Eric Ju campaign headquarters. For the Democratic Progressive Party, we have Joseph Wu, the party's secretary general, giving us the People First Party perspective. Uh, we're going to have former Minister of the Interior, Li Hongyuan. Now, those are the party representatives. We'll also be hearing from two distinguished political scientists. Uh, this first one actually has distinguished right there in his title. Dr. Yu Shanwu is the Distinguished Research Fellow at Academia's Seneca's Institute of Political Science. And we'll also be hearing from Dr. Eric Chanhua Yu. He is an Associate Professor of Political Science at National Zhengzhou University and a researcher at the university's Election Studies Center. So those are your panelists. Now I'll be turning things over to the event's host, Gavin Phipps. Jump straight in, instead of having some opening comments, the representatives from the three parties can give their opening comments in the first question, which is pretty basic, and we'll, it's an overview of the election campaigns of the KMT, the DPP and the PFP, and I'm going to ask their respective representatives if they believe the candidates have fully explained their policies to the public, and more importantly, are the voters listening? So we'll begin with Eric from the KMT. Hi, um, I'm Eric Huang, representing the Nationalist Party of Taiwan, also the only person without a PhD in, on this panel. Um, so let me share my two cents about the campaign. Um, our campaign obviously started late uh, with Eric Chu as our candidate. So um, when Eric Chu was nominated by the party, um, we had a lot of catch-up to do. So um, in the beginning of um, Eric Chu's journey, um, he was, you know, on average 20 points down in the polls against Dr. Tsai. And uh, we have um, Jim Song from the People's First Party uh, usually hoovering around 10% uh, on the polls. So now um, we are just days away from the election. Um, according, we're not allowed to talk about polls anymore, but uh, given the trend for the past two months, uh, we believe we have catch up to where we want to be so far. Um, so there are a number of factors uh, that we can attribute to this phenomenon. Um, we, from the beginning, uh, have talked about um, Eric Chu represents the youth of the party, which means um, he um, is the represent what the, the reform part of the party. So in the past, uh, KMT has um, known for its economic uh, growth uh, for Taiwan. And Eric Chu, on top of uh, promising Taiwan economic growth, uh, giving uh, a tail end to the um, uh, uh, equal distribution for the younger generation, he, he also promises good governments. Okay, so uh, given for the past seven years, President Ma has led the country on the right direction, but he's often criticized for the uh, inefficiency of governing. Uh, Eric Chu has uh, plans to reform in that regard. And on top of these two things, um, cross-strait stability is also what Eric Chu can offer to the voters. And we believe all of the above reasons has led to uh, where he is now, where he has catch up a significant amount against our opponent, uh, Dr. Tsai. 
Thank you very much, Eric. And Joseph from uh, the yes, DPP. Yes, that's a very good question. Uh, yes. uh, I'm delighted to be uh, on this panel. Uh, for the DPP, I think we are doing fine, in both in the presidential election and in the legislative election. And uh, we are being predicted popularly uh, that we are going to crush the KMT in the presidential election. Uh, despite what uh, Eric just mentioned, uh, I think in the legislative election, uh, we are also expecting to see for the first time ever uh, that the DPP is going to be the majority in the legislative end. So for Taiwan's uh, political history, this is quite significant if uh, things turn out the way, uh, as I said, that both uh, executive branch and the legislative branch, legislative branch will be in the hands of uh, the DPP. Uh, we have been working very hard in trying to tell the people uh, what the DPP stands for. Uh, what kind of policy platforms we have in dealing with various problems uh, in Taiwan. Uh, when we do public opinion polls in early days, uh, we understand that uh, the people care more about their daily lives rather than uh, cross-trade relations. Uh, they care about food safety issue. They care about uh, long-term care. Uh, they care about the coming collapse of the pension system. Uh, they also care very much about the economic performance. And uh, in dealing with those issues people care about, we try to come up with uh, policy platforms uh, in dealing with those issues. And I'm sure uh, those platforms have touched the people. And I think that is the reason why uh, Chairwoman Tsai is so supported in the public opinion survey. And in just three days, uh, we will see a new president and also a new legislature. And the DPP is ready to be in that position. Right, thank you, Joseph. And over to Lee Hong Yuen and the PFP and your party's campaign and its message to the voters. Have you succeeded in getting your messages across? Uh, comparing to KMT and DPP, we are a relatively small party, so we don't have enough resources. And, and that's why that our, our voices cannot easily be heard. By, by our people, as that's, that's fact. And of course, according to the poll, that we are relatively uh, low. But actually, if, according to our experience, talking to our people, talking to younger generations through internet, actually we are, we, we are much better than, than, than it shows on the number. And of course, Governor Song, he's famous for the most capable candidate who can really solve Taiwan's problem. And we are very confident that uh, we can be a very strong uh, leader when we win the election. And of course, that people of Taiwan, we are very fed up with so-called blue and green conflict for last 16 years because we, we are suffer from our daily life. The younger generation, they, don't, they, they, they lost their, their expectation on their future. And of course, we have all, everything's wrong. From interior or from foreign policy or from cross-trade relationships, and we believe we are stable, we are feasible, we are reliable, and we are capable. So still, although we only have about less than one week left, we are trying our best to have our voice being heard by our people and hopefully convince them to vote vote for us, especially younger generation. Because the governor song, the most, the, I think the handicap for him is people think he's too old. But, uh, but I, I believe that uh, when Ronald Reagan was in the office, he's even older. So he can be a good president. I believe the governor song can be a good president. So we have all the confidence and, and we are catching up and hopefully we are going to win the election. Thank you. All right, thank you, Mr. Lee. And let's move over to our academics. And starting with Professor Uyu Shan, and what do you believe have been the biggest challenges for each party's political campaign in the run-up to the election? Okay, um, we, we cannot and should not talk about the polls and the likely outcome of the elections. So even though the three parties are saying that they are going to win, um, this is up to the, uh, the voters to decide. But I'm more interested in what would be the policies of uh, the three uh, presidential candidates if they win. And let me provide some basics probably you are quite familiar with, but let me lay out the, the, the picture. In Taiwan, 
uh, like in any other democracies, people vote for two things. The first one is for performance, and the second one is for identity. And as far as performance is concerned, people are more most interested in two things. Um, the first one is whether the economy can grow, whether there will be development. The second one is whether the, uh, the riches can be uh, distributed equitably. Um, in Taiwan, I would say up to several years ago, um, politics has been defined in terms of identity politics. Um, we have been asking people, are you a Chinese? Are you a Taiwanese? Are you both a Chinese and Taiwanese? Nowadays, there are two trends uh, competing for dominance in people's identity. The first one is I'm both Chinese and Taiwanese, the so-called double identifiers. And the second one is I'm exclusively Taiwanese. I mean, this is a Taiwanese nation, and across the Taiwan Strait, they are China. So we are talking about two peoples, two nations. It, this difference obviously has profound implications on the political competition on the island. Uh, the second social schism, political schism, which was not that obvious, but nowadays because of the downturn of the economy has become more and more prominent and is competing for um, dominance with the previous social schism, namely the economic schism. Um, are you more uh, concerned with distribution or you think market uh, liberalism is the best way to grow Taiwan's economy. Very traditional left-right divide. Taiwan also Taiwan has only developed the prototype of the left-right divide, unlike most of the democracies in the world. But we are, we are adding this new schism and political uh, schism into the regional existing identity schism. So we have two uh, cross-cutting schisms. And that gives you a very nice two-by-two, two, four boxes. Now, let me put the, the political parties into the boxes, and, and probably most of them would, would protest uh, loudly. But um, I would say this is the general characteristics of the three political parties. The KMT, I think, is primarily based on uh, double education. And it is the very reason why it can share the 1992 consensus with the um, People's Republic of China. Because if you recognize yourself to be not just Taiwanese, but also Chinese, and they say they are Chinese, then you are the same nation, and it is possible to talk about the Republic of China sovereignty covering the mainland China, and the ultimate unification is a possible outcome, and even a desirable one if the uh, situations allow. And also on the economic divide, uh, the KMT is... Uh, very much for opening up the market, economic integration, FTAs, ECFA, and so on and so forth. So that will put KMT on the, I would say, the upper right box of this two-by-two. Two. The DPP is very interesting because on the one hand, it emphasized on exclusively Taiwanese identity. But on the other hand, on the economic issue, it has been shifting more and more towards distribution side, even though not becoming a left party. Nevertheless, because of the downturn of the economy of Taiwan, the DPP as the opposition party has been putting a lot of emphasis on the distributional issue. Um, so I would say it will be like something in the middle um, on the economic divide. But then identity-wise, it's exclusively Taiwanese, the main support for the party. And the PFP... Uh, obviously, it has a very experienced administrator, James Song, as head of the party. But then overall, I would say that it is not that different from the KMT's position, namely economically uh, market-driven integration with mainland China. And identity-wise, it's both Chinese and Taiwanese. But then we have the sunflower generation, which is an interesting new phenomenon because it, it emphasizes both very strong Taiwanese identity and also very much um, on the uh, distribution issues. But then this, even this sunflower movement has 
uh, differentiated into different directions. Some of the parties will be more on the Taiwanese identity, and some of them are more for distribution. We know different small political parties are coming out of this. So if you put all these parties on this two-by-two, you will find them um, in different boxes. And my question, if I may, for the uh, KMT would be um, that position, um, pro-market and uh, rapprochement with mainland China by accepting 1992 consensus, seems to be working well in creating the rapprochement. The problem is Taiwan's economy seems not to be benefiting that much from this formula. So, and, and especially with this wild fluctuations of the mainland Chinese economy slowing down and we're seeing a lot of fluctuations, would that uh, become a negative impact on Taiwan's development in the future? And the question for the DPP is, if you don't recognize the 1992 consensus, and Xi Jinping has said this repeatedly that the 1992 consensus is the very basis of cross-strait rapprochement, otherwise, the, 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 the ground would move and the mountain would be shaken, how would you be able to deal with Xi Jinping? Um, obviously, China is rising its national power. And uh, I know there has been a quantum jump by uh, Madame Tsai Ing-wen saying that, you know, the 1992 consensus is one of the options. So it's possible. But obviously, it's not a basis of cross-relations. And the question for PFP is that how would you be able to differentiate yourself from the KMT in terms of grand policies, in terms of whether you would open up the Taiwanese economy to further mainland Chinese influence and pursuing cross-strait rapprochement. So these are the three questions based on my uh, positioning of the three parties on my two-by-two. Two. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much, Professor Wu. Now, Professor Yu Chen Hao, and how do you see the parties' campaigns going? Okay, uh, I'm actually uh, from. I'm also from uh, Election Study Center. That conduct a lot of uh, surveys, but today I'm not able to talk about the data, so it put me in, in a difficult position that I need to say something other than the data. But uh, uh, So I, I will talk something about uh, from uh, my observation. So I think that the question is about the obstacle or the ch major challenge for parties' campaign. So let me uh, start from the KMT part. As Professor Wu just mentioned, the performance could be a really important thing, that uh, particularly in the uh, uh, democratic uh, country, accountability is always the, the major thing. That that's why we, we need to have elections to to uh, to have the rulers accountable. So Angel's performance will definitely be the, the, the one of the key issue in this election, and. Uh, uh, so I think that there are two things that uh, uh, I think that the, the opposition parties keeps look at is number one, the economy is bad, like just Professor Wu said, and um, also uh, uh, Joseph also identified several other issues uh, related to democracy, particularly those are domestic issues, and like the unemployment rates, uh, also some. Uh, even some um, social inequality issue could be also related to the lack of economic development. So the bottom line is that economy is always the, the major concern in Taiwan's elections. If you, you get a chance to check the data, economy is always identified as the number one issue that the, the general public cares about. So, uh, but uh, the gov uh, Ma Angel's government seems to fail to produce a good number, not the good number, but the good feeling, people's good feeling towards economy. So that's the number, that's the number one issue. The second thing is about Ma Angel's, uh, the, the ways that Ma Angel tried to, tried to boost the economy over the past eight years. I think the, in 2008, Ma Angel tries to use uh, the open policy toward mainland China as a leverage to boost Taiwan's economy. So I think uh, he keeps emphasizing that the facilitation of cross-strait relations will, 
certainly boost Taiwan's economy. But it seems that that kind of uh, uh, strategy seems to be uh, seem, uh, seems seems to be a failure. That's uh, also like uh, Professor Wu just mentioned. There, there was limited spillover effect about from the uh, generated from the open policy of cross trade relations. So Ma Yingzhou needs to answer. Uh, the the KMT needs to answer with uh, what's uh, needs to answer the question that uh, whether Mindjo's uh, strategy is a right is a correct direction or the wrong direction and sometimes and uh, because some issues are actually the issues re regarding globalization for example like I just mentioned that the young the the, the high un unemployment rate among the young people. That could be the issue of globalization. But because Mindjo choose to use the cross-trade relations to boost the economy, so that could be the problem of his... Uh, uh, that, could, that actually leads other people to challenge his direction over the past eight years. And from the DPP, so that's the KMT's biggest challenge is the Mindjo's baggage. For the DPP side, I think the biggest challenge is to gain real trust from the general public because over the past several years, the support of the KMT certainly declined. And I think I can bring this number because it's a, it's a, it's a long-term number. Because since 2011, I think the support of the, for the KMT has decreased even about 15 percentage points. But the problem, is, the, the problem to DPP is that the KMT's decline support has not necessarily transferred to the DPPs. So there exists a relatively large proportion of the independent voters compared against uh, like maybe five or six years ago that uh, the, in, the proportion of independent voters increased more than 10 percentage points. So basically, uh, the independent voters or people in the middle are certainly just have a lot of suspicions about the two major parties. And I, I think that's why small parties emerging from the grassroots sunflower movements can gain some certain kind of uh, campaign market in this election. And uh, because they can they not only gain attentions, but maybe they can gain some significant numbers of, vote, uh, of seats. So I think that's also the warning sign mm -hmm. to the DPP, even though DPP seems to enjoy, a, uh, enjoy the... the uh, uh, enjoy a great lead in, the, in, the, in this election. But to gain the real trust from the general public will be the major issues afterward. And for the DP, PFP, I think the major challenge is to identify itself as not a party that just a party to attract protest votes. So uh, I think James, PF, uh, P, although James Song so far has run a much better campaign, rather than he, what he did in 2012. But most people do not think that he has a legitimate shot to win the election. That's, that's the, the, one of the major concerns so far. So PFP does attract both blue and green votes, and the ratio could be like three to one, three, uh, uh, three blue votes and one green votes. That's, that would be the ratio uh, in, in, for, for those supports among the PFP. But it certainly attracts those people who are disappointed to the two major parties, but not actually gain support for for its own sake. That's the major problem. And uh, some, of course, Jameson has some charisma to to collect so-called personal votes, but it doesn't seem to be enough for him to win. So, uh, so I think the PV, PFP is uh, the difficulty for the PFP is try to persuade people that it has the legitimate shot to win the election, and that would be difficult. For, uh, that, that's the most difficult thing for, for, the, uh, for PFP's campaign. So these are three uh, things that I identify for the, as a three major challenge for the three parties. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Professor Yu. Now we'll throw these questions and these questions the academics have come with back to the party representatives. And this time we'll begin with Lee Hong Yuen in the PFP. So how do you answer the academics' questions to your party? Uh, yes, he asked, what's the difference between our party and the KMT's policy? I would say when you come to a campaign, everybody talk about policy. I think the policy is more or less the same. I think the only difference is the, if this, this policy is feasible, 
and you are capable of handling that kind of policy. So we are very strong, or as a reputation is, we we used to run for the for the provincial government. We are we are, we have proved that we are, we are the most capable uh, uh, candidate. So I would say the cross trade relationships. Of course, in the past, we are always always talk about political issues, independent unification. But I'm an engineer. We are very practical. There are lots of things we can talk about between Taiwan and China. We are facing global climate change. We are talking about green energy, and we are going. We are talking about disaster management. Actually, uh, as a professor, as a minister of the interior, I have established the whole disaster management system for Taiwan. And in the, for a very long time, we we I trained their government officer on this kind of of, of issues. So I would say. Taiwan and China, we have, of course, people talk about the identity. You are Chinese, you are Taiwanese. I would say, yes, that's very important. But most importantly is can we solve our problems together and work together, generate, generate revenue. And for, Kent, for in the past, yes, we agree because I used to work for the KMT government. I cannot blame everything on KMT government. But we, we say, yes, we have, have some uh, the improvement between Taiwan and China. But the problem is, yes, we do generate revenue, but those revenue come to Taiwan does not feel by the younger generation, did not ever see the distribution problem. If we can generate revenue and those revenue can be shared, can be, can be enjoyed by our people, especially the younger generation and people in the, in the central and south part of, of Taiwan, that's why uh, our, our policies always talk about Sanzong. Sanzong means uh, smaller uh, business and uh, central and southern Taiwan and the uh, younger generation. I think that's the that's the distribution problem. And also, of course, KMT for last eight years, yes, KMT do have some, I would say, very eye-catching uh, policy. For example, they want we want to we used to say we should to establish the uh, Taiwan the gateway to China for the for the Western people. I think that's a good good good, good direction. But the problem is by doing that, there are lots of laws, regulation, immigration laws. So many things have to be follow up. But for the most of most of the politicians, is they don't know what, what, what they don't know the detail. So they don't, they don't, if they don't, you don't go, go there and solve, clean all the mess, you have a bright, you have a good uh, policy, and it won't work. So our capacity is we used to work, we used to run a provincial government. So we know all those details. We, we, we are capable of giving you a right direction and tell you that those are the, are the details we have to solve, and then we, we can prove that it's feasible. And also the dialogue between Taiwan and China, I think Governor Song himself, our, uh, our colleague, yes, we have a strong, uh, long-term relationship and good relationship with China. And I think we are very confident in doing that. So again, I would say uh, cross-trade relation is very important, it's a key issue. But again, we, we are not blindly believe that using the economic, economic growth, we can, we can, we can uh, based, only based on that, <coughs> we, can, we can improve our economy. So we have to be smart enough to build a firewall. We, we want to use the, 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 the uh, blooming force uh, to solve our problem, but we, we have to be very, be very careful that if we, we did not smart enough to, to, to build a firewall, we'll be burned. So, so, so what, is, what is the balance? But again, I think we are, we are very rational and we are very uh, uh, capable. So I think to answer our question with KMT, yes, people talk about the policy is the same. The most different, the major difference is we can really deliver what we have saved. For example, just give you, an, give, you, give you a number. When Governor Song, he left Taiwan provincial government by the year 1998, according to the analysis, he has fulfilled all his words, 90, 
He promised. He he gave a lot of promise when we when we left the Taiwan provincial government. All his words, ninety seven percent has been delivered. I think this is a miracle of a government agency. The Wang Yongqing, the the uh, the chairman of the Taiwan Plastic uh, Company, he once told us that he never saw a government more efficient than his company. So this is our, our record, this is our, our capacity. So I believe that, yes, we are small. But again, I have to emphasize is uh, Governor Song. We are talking about leadership. He has a very strong leadership. I think we, don't, we do not have enough resources comparing to those two parties, but we have good people, we have, we have strong leadership. Our capacity is we can integrate people from different parties, from different aspects, we can work as a team. I think the strong leadership is very important for this country. For the last 16 years, actually our country is, we are suffering from strong leaderships. Actually, I use for the government, I can guarantee that our government officer, they are very good. How come their performance is not being recognized or even complained by, by our citizen? Because we don't have strong leaderships. I think the Governor Song is, is famous for his strong leaderships and his capacity. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Mr. Lee Hong Yuen. And Joseph Wu from the DPP, how would, how would you like to respond to the questions posed to you by the academics about your campaign? Uh, thank you. Uh, I used to be an academia, so I'm quite familiar with uh, the argument coming from uh, either Professor Wu or Professor Yu. I think in this particular election, uh, there are several factors uh, that are at play uh, that are not uh, you know, what we used to see uh, in the elections before. People look at the cross-strait relations as a salient issue, but in this particular election, the cross-strait relations is not a salient issue. And therefore, the cross-strait relations does not define this election, and it does not define the election results. Uh, and what are the factors affecting this particular election? Uh, I think you know, someone mentioned about the KMT's own factor or President Ma's performance. I think that is an you know, accurate one. Uh, in this uh, legislative elections, uh, we see some uh, slogans comes out that uh, if you support uh, President Ma, please go ahead and vote for this particular candidate. And that candidate happens to, uh, you know, many of those candidates hated it just very, very much, and they tried to have lawsuits against those people who uh, have those slogans up. And therefore, you can see uh, President Ma happens to be uh, disliked by uh, the voters here in Taiwan. Uh, when we do the public opinion surveys, or, you know, there are uh, publicly available survey data, President Ma enjoys very low trust, public trust. Uh, at between 20 to 25 percent of the public trust level, and that is very low. And in the contrast, uh, the local governors of Taiwan, the local mayors and magistrates of uh, the DPP side, uh, they enjoy high-level support here in Taiwan. So you see a very clear contrast. And another factor uh, that many people look at here in, in the, this election is the young voters. Uh, after the Sunflower Movement, I think the young voters here in Taiwan have been uh, mobilized, and they participated in mass in the uh, last local election at the end of uh, 2014. And I'm sure there's still another uh, very important factor in this uh, particular election. And you know, to us, uh, the younger voters happen to be supporting the DPP in the presidential election. They might be supporting the New Power Party or the DPP or other political parties. Um, but in presidential elections, basically, they support us. Uh, we see a tremendous amount of turnout in the uh, public opinion surveys for the DPP. And uh, another uh, factor that I would describe about this pre uh, presidential election is uh, the successful campaign uh, by the DPP not to address the green and blue divide. We tried to transcend the green-blue divide, you know, for example, in the uh, crossway policy areas. Uh, we address on uh, status quo, we address on the ROC constitutional order, uh, things like that. And I think that happens to be uh, in line with the majority view on how to uh, maintain the cross-strait relations. Uh, another factor that I mentioned a little bit uh, earlier is uh, policy platforms to address uh, the issues uh, people care very much about. So you have to combine all these factors together to see which uh, camp or which candidate is running a more successful 
uh, election in, in the, this time around. Uh, if uh, Dr. Tsai can win the presidential election, and if the DPP can have a majority in the legislative end, uh, it will be the third turnover of political power in Taiwan. And I think in this, it's very significant for Taiwan's economic, uh, political development. Uh, we uh, will have uh, three political turnovers, and that will signify that Taiwan is a consolidated democracy. And I think that is something that we can all celebrate. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Joseph. And Eric Huang from the KMT, how do you answer the academics' questions about your party's campaign? Thank you. Thank you, Professor Wu and uh, Professor Yu. I will speak softly to your questions. Um, first, let me touch base on the identity issue. Um, if we look at the slogan of Eric Chu's presidential campaign, um, is based on a one Taiwan thing. Okay, what does this one Taiwan mean? One Taiwan means that everybody living on this island, right, um, all share something in common, which is this place that we live on. Um, there, among other things, democracy, uh, prosperity, and everything else. It is our belief that we have to um, move past. Uh, the divides among everyone, then we can move forward together. Okay, this is our campaign thing, One Taiwan. The question uh, that often ask me is, oh, how do, we, um, how, how do we explain this One Taiwan thing to the 1992 consensus, the One China with different interpretations? Our answer is that this two things does not contradict each other. Okay, um, the Taiwan identity shouldn't run into against uh, what our country is constitutionally, the Republic of China. Uh, that's on, on the identity part. Now, now that's um, uh, another thing I want to talk on before, before I move on is President Ma is not on the ballot of this election. Uh, we have Eric Chu, who's a very different man than President Ma. Uh, they have very different experience. Uh, Eric Chu is his home, own man. He has brought up several policies uh, in, in regard to fix the current problem of this sitting government. So um, this is very unfortunate some of our opponents are using this tactic to round against the KMT. Okay. And I, I encourage the voters to, to, to support either uh, Jim Song or Dr. Tsai or Eric Chu based on their own merits. Okay. So now we, let's talk about the, um, the economy. Um, so we, we, the KMT we are uh, for to open our economy. So uh, we support uh, to join of TPP and RCEP. Um, so let's talk about our relationship with mainland China first. Um, there are two dividends that we can gain from this relationship. One is the peace dividend. The other is the business dividend. The peace dividend is, is, very, um, is, is very straightforward that people can see. From our, it has given us a lot of international access for the past seven years in regards of um, uh, visa waiver, uh, in regards of joining different international organizations. Let's talk about a business dividend here, which is under attack, uh, especially from the youth, uh, the, gen the, the younger generation here in Taiwan. Um, what their argument is, which is a valid one, which is the one that we see and uh, we want to fix, is that um, a lot of these... Um, business uh, from cross-strait affairs do not benefit everyone. It benefits to the top 1%, all the big companies. So when Eric Chu went to, um, uh, to meet with President Xi uh, last year, um, our, um, our friend from PFP has mentioned the Sanzhong Yiqing. The Sanzhong is uh, central Taiwan, um, middle and small enterprise, and a middle class. And then one Yiqing is the youth. So we believe the dividends of cross-strait should benefit not to tailor towards any particular group, but we want these benefits in the future to be focused on uh, the group we just forementioned, the Sanzhong Yiqing. Okay, so now the other question people might ask is, has the KMT invested all our eggs in one basket? All right, let's look at the numbers statistically. Um, in the past seven years, um, our total trade, our export to mainland China, Hong Kong, and Macau has dropped uh, to 39.8% from a previous 40, almost close to 42% under DPP's government. 
On the other hand, our trade with Asian countries has raised five percent in total, fifteen percent now. So um, we do see the risk of um, investing everything in China, and and that's why the reason why we talk about we not only want to join the TPP, we also want to join RCEP. But given both of these. Uh, international organizations could be affected if there are any changes given, you know, in cross-strait affairs. So um, lastly, let me talk about um, how do we intend to address the youth uh, voters and the younger generation. We do not see uh, the Sunflower, all the supporters of Sunflower movements um, are uh, pink green or our DPP supporters. Uh, we believe these are the group of supporters who could potentially uh, support the KMT if we offer them um, a, f- a bright future, a hope they want to see. So we will, um, Eric Chu has uh, addressed uh, all these issues. He has offered economically uh, what we call a three bows and four arrows policy. I won't go into details here. You guys can look them up online. So we believe um, we can attract not only our traditional economic voters, but we can offer the youth a fair distribution of the economic growth. Thank you, Eric. Now we'll throw the question back to our academics, and we'll talk about China. And we'll ask Dr. Wu Yushan, what do you think voters are looking for in terms of stable cross-strait policies? Um, I would like to concentrate on the uh, 1992 consensus. Um, I think the international community looks at this Taiwanese presidential coup parliamentary elections, not from the point of view of whether Taiwan is going to have yet another political turnover, but rather what will be the policy of the new government? Would that policy touch up a tense relations with the PRC? And what, and what would the implications of that development to countries in the region and around the world? I think the overwhelming concern is on cross-strait relations. So we have to perceive it not just from our own point of view, but also from the point of view of Beijing and of the international community. The crux of the matter is the 1992 consensus whether there's such a consensus at all, whether it's one of the options, or it is the inevitable pillar of rapprochement across the Taiwan Strait. Uh, We have to be very clear on this issue. Now, the question, I think, for most people in Taiwan is, on the one hand, uh, they want to have smooth cross-strait relations. On the other hand, because of the rise of Taiwanese identity versus the double identification, people are increasingly treating the 1992 consensus, namely one China with different respective interpretations of it, as a purely instrument with which we can deal with mainland China. Namely, you don't believe in the essence of the definition. You think since Beijing wants it, so probably we should make some concessions and accept it, a lip service, if you like, so that we can deal with them, because they are terribly concerned with it, and they have very big stick uh, in their hands. But the problem is, if you go down the road of this Kind. You will feel that you are torn apart. On the one hand, your identity is telling you that it is not the case. The Republic of China does not have sovereignty over the whole of mainland China. On the other hand, your economic necessity tells you that you have to say that, for otherwise the other side will be unhappy. And this is creating a tension in the psychology of a lot of people. So how are you going to deal with that? And I think this is a common problem for all the political parties. For the DPP, you can emphasize the psychological need of the Taiwanese people to show that they are an independent uh, people, sovereign nation, 
But then they will run the risk of antagonizing the People's Republic of China across the Taiwan Strait, and that would jeopardize your security and economic interests. <clears throat> On the side of the KMT and the PFP, you can continue playing with 1992 consensus, but you know that it is just an instrument. And, and how are you going to make the young generation believe that um, the so-called legal fiction uh, can be maintained. Uh, I think there's a split personality in Taiwan, and that is expressing itself in the elections. Um, no matter who wins the presidential election would have to address this issue. Either you have to make people really think in terms of um, probably we are different people, but broadly speaking, we share the culture, and broadly speaking, we are all the Zhonghua Mingzu. You have to make them feel that way. Or you have to reduce the economic dependence on the mainland and willing to suffer the costs uh, that will be imposed on you when you follow your uh, soul by asserting that I'm Taiwanese, I'm not a Chinese. And I think this is a fundamental issue. And I don't think any of the political parties is addressing that, probably because it's not a vote-getter. Uh, but, but it's very fundamental. So I'd like to see the uh, response from the three political parties on this. And we'll get to the political parties in a minute. But Professor Yu Chen Hao, how do you see voters looking at the cross-strait issue and what policies are they looking for? Okay, uh, I think we uh, we focus, uh, we put a lot of attention, particularly in this election, we do put a lot of attention on young voters because they will be the next generation that, uh, of course, we, we want to make policies for the future. And uh, speaking of the young voters, people do have some kind of a stereotype, thinking that, well, young voters are, gen are in general anti-China. But in fact, if you get a chance to look at some, so, uh, some uh, detailed survey data, you you can see that, well, they are some, they of course feel suspicious about China, but they also do think that the, the future opportunities could be in China. So when you ask them whether or not you, you want to uh, uh, possibly work in China or try to pursue, pers uh, pursue your career in China, most of the time they will say, well, when opportunity comes, they will, they will do that. So uh, that's, the, that's the, I think, the, the difficult that's kind of uh, sometimes when we look at we when we look at the, those young people, we just feel well that kind of anti-China atmosphere could be just simply anti-Mainzhou's atmosphere. So it's kind of related. It's not necessarily the same. So we don't. So first thing is that we shouldn't treat those young people simply just label them as anti-China. Uh, generation. That's definitely not a, not a fact. They, they also look for peace uh, between the, the two sides of the uh, straits. Not necessarily uh, I should not label them as a kind of uh, Taiwan, in the hardcore Taiwan independent, for Taiwan independence. And uh, given that kind of fact, I think that a bit, in addition to the importance of 92 consensus, as Professor Wu Yusan just mentioned, I think one thing I would like to hear, part, um, party, uh, hear from party representative is that um, over the past eight years, when Ma Ying-jeou turns to the open policy and tries to think that the, that kind of open policy will boost e Taiwan's economic development, of course, when you open up something, and you will have something to. Uh, you will need. You will take something, but of course, need to forfeit something. That's kind of a negotiation between the two sides. And uh, of course, Ma Ying-jeou kind of emphasized quite a lot about the positive, possible positive positive impact about the cross-strait relate about the exchange of cross-strait uh, to Taiwan's economy, but but uh, failed to actually explain for those possible losers when, uh, in that kind of exchange. So I think that one important thing is that the major challenge is to inform the electoral, electorate what to take and what to forfeit, particularly in 
in the relationship with the mainland China as well as in the, in other different relationship, even with the negotiation negotiation with the with the U.S. And because those who get benefits main, mainly uh, most of the time they won't speak out, but those who get nothing will speak out quite a lot. Uh, will definitely speak. Uh, will definitely step out and speak loudly. That's the situation in during the Mayanjus. Uh, period. So I want to ask the, the, the three-party representatives, I think that the key issue is that when we deal with the mainland China, what should we take and what should we forfeit? And that, that would, uh, as, that's also echo Professor Wu's uh, question about the, what kind of concessions would you, you want to let the, you want to inform the electorate that they, will, uh, they can accept. And uh, the second thing is that uh, about the uh, cross-strait relations, uh, of course, uh, like uh, Tsai Ing-wen mentioned about uh, maintaining the status quo as kind of a, uh, uh, I think for, for the blue part, for the pain blue part, it's kind of a straightforward word, just maintain the 92 consensus and keep, the, keep that going. But particularly for the DPP part, how to translate the maintaining, maintain the status quo as a, as a campaign language to real policy, I think there is a, still a, some kind of gap between the realization of maintaining the status quo and as a as a real policy, how to implement that. And we all know that the blue blue parties use NATO consensus as an instrument. So, what kind of the instruments that the DPP will use will be uh, really critical, particularly if Tsai Ing will win the election. So. Uh, I will stop here. Right, thank you, Professor Yu. So, Eric Huang from the KMT, I'll let you answer the academics' questions first. Thank you. Um, in terms of the 1992 consensus, um, we do believe it is at the time the best option that we have uh, dealing with cross-strait affairs. It is currently a working formula that is agreed upon with, by all the parties involved, um, namely Taipei, Washington, and Beijing. Um, we haven't yet seen um, our, op our opponent propose any other uh, strategy or formula. Um, so the Dr. Tsai has mentioned this is one of her options, but we don't know what her option will be. Um, so, so far it is a working one, um, and um, we intend to uh, work uh, continuously with, by this if we are elected. But we will not go any further uh, than the three no's, what President Ma proposed seven years ago. Um, so there will be no independence, uh, no unification, and there will be no wars. So um, dealing with uh, mainland China, um, the, let me talk about the younger generation first. Uh, the younger generation, um, you know, people under 35 or so, um, they don't have the same connections or they don't have much affiliation with mainland China. Um, so they look at this issue differently from my parents' generation. My grandfather came from uh, mainland China. So we, we, um, we look at Beijing um, in a different perspective, um, simply from a Taiwan identity. And again, I, I talked about this before. The Taiwan identity doesn't have uh, to run into the Republic of China. Uh, so uh, like Professor Wu has talked about, um, we could use this to our leverage. Uh, we want to use this um, to buy time um, because dealing with China, which is a big elephant in the room, uh, which is close by Taiwan, is big and powerful. We want to be very careful of our dealings uh, with our neighbor there. Um, so I, I guess the KMT's best strategy is to uh, continuously um, make Taiwan, this country, um, uh, prosper uh, and make people living here um, to, um, to be proud of our democracy. And then maybe down the line in the future, uh, then we can uh, decide upon the faith of cross-strait relations. Uh, before coming out here, I was looking on YouTube. And there is a channel that is uh, introducing Taiwan. So they were on Times Square asking people, what's your opinion of Taiwan? And there was one American say, Taiwan is the only Chinese democracy in the world. I thought that's uh, very well said. Um, in this regard, Taiwan can serve as a role model for uh, 
mainland China. Maybe they can look in Taiwan and say one day we want to be a democracy like that. I think once that's achieved, we can look at this whole cross-strait affairs in a very different light. Thank you very much, Eric. And Joseph from the DPP, how do you respond to the academics' questions about cross-strait policy? Uh, indeed, this is a very important question for us to ask, not just during the election, but in uh, normal days as well. Uh, but for this election, I would say that, again that uh, the cross-strait issue is not a salient issue in this election. And therefore, it does not define the election, and it does not define the election result. Uh, and China has not decided or China has decided not to intervene this time. Uh, their senior officials have said it uh, several times as, uh, already. And the DPP does not run an anti-China uh, agenda during the election. And therefore, to, uh, to us in the DPP, uh, the cross elections uh, is not a campaign issue. But it is an issue that we have to uh, reckon with uh, if, we want to, if we want to stay in a peaceful manner with the Chinese side. Uh, in the last eight years, under President Ma, uh, even though he, ac- he has accepted 1992 consensus, uh, but if we look at the structural relations between Taiwan and China, we still find lots of problems. Uh, the Chinese military pressure against Taiwan is increasing uh, to the degree where many of our international friends have been uh, telling us that uh, you know, we need to get notice. And on our diplomatic relations or our uh, general international participation, China is still playing a role to undercut our effort. Uh, And uh, in the past eight years, uh, we see some positive developments, but at the same time, uh, we also see the Chinese side is uh, trying uh, to play something uh, that is not in the interest of Taiwan people. So we have to be very careful on what 1992 consensus can bring to Taiwan and one attitude uh, that I detect from the KMT side or the uh, Pen Blue side uh, that I found uncomfortable is that we need to uh, depend on China uh, economically. Uh, without China, Taiwan's economy is going to be in shambles. Uh, I think that might, uh, to, t- to some degree, that might be true because we are trading a lot with China. But at the same time, if there's going to be any slowdown in the Chinese economy, Taiwan stands to lose. Uh, this is uh, what we are seeing in uh, the last year or so, and I think it's going to affect Taiwan uh, this year and also the coming years. Uh, we also see uh, lots of arguments saying that uh, without 1992 consensus, there's going to be a diplomatic confrontation, things like that, as if China can define our international participation or our relations with other countries. And I just don't think that that should be the case uh, our diplomatic relations, our relations with other countries or our uh, international participation should be uh, you know, decided by the Taiwan people and the Taiwan government. You know, we need to build very good uh, relationship or friendship with the international community. That's our effort, and the government has a responsibility to do that. Uh, just a few days ago, uh, the KMT caucus had a press conference in the late state of Vienna, and the topic, very strangely, that Taiwan's uh, high school, uh, you know, higher education system is uh, collapsing because uh, the children, the number of children are getting less and less. And we need China to help us. Uh, it it makes me sound like you know, Taiwan's major problems uh, need China's uh, solution. Uh, without China, Taiwan is going to fall. I just don't think that that should be uh, the way we look at the government responsibility. In 1992, uh, there was uh, exchanges uh, and negotiations in between SEF and ERES of Taiwan and China. Uh, but there was no agreement. Uh, yeah, but the most important thing out of the uh, 1992 con- uh, context and leading up to the 1993 Kuwang talk in Singapore is that two sides decided to set aside the differences and to move forward for the future mutual benefit. And therefore, the most important spirit in 1992 is to set aside the differences and to move on something that is for uh, the interests of both Taiwan and China. And that is something that we should treasure. Uh, and in 1992 consensus, we are also seeing something uh, that make us uh, not so comfortable. Uh, on the Chinese side, they define 1992 consensus as the agreement reached in 1992 that both sides agree to one China principle. 
And the major players within the KMT also had a different interpretation of 1992 consensus. The earlier candidate, the presidential candidate of the KMT, Madam Hong, uh, defined the 1992 consensus or the relations between the two sides as one China with the same interpretation. And Eric Chu, the current candidate, went to China in May last year, and he says that both Taiwan and, Ta and China belong to one China. And that scared a lot of people. And when President Ma met with uh, Xi Jinping in Singapore uh, in November last year, in the opening statement, he mentioned about 1992 consensus. He said it's a consensus on one China principle. And therefore, people start to worry that Taiwan's interpretation or President Ma's interpretation or even the KMT's interpretation mm. is the same as the Chinese interpretation. And what is the different interpretation then? And therefore, we have to be uh, very careful in this regard. And I would say that a leader is a leader that can unify the country rather than a leader that addresses something that forgot about the majority part of the population. And that is what we need for the future leader. Taiwan can no longer stand for division here. And we need a leader to come up with a policy that can unify the country. And status quo happens to be supported by the majority of the people here in Taiwan and advocating status quo as the basis for the cross-strait relations happens to be supported by the majority people here in Taiwan. And it's also in the best interest of all party concerned. Right, thank you, Joseph. And over to the PFP's Lee Hongyuan. Uh, I believe I'm probably the only engineer in this room. Oh, I, when I answer this question, I actually it's, it's from my heart. Okay. Uh, again, because we are a small party, nobody prepared any documentation for me. So I have to speak from my conscience. Of course, a cross-trade relationship is never easy. The problem is most of the politicians in Taiwan, they all look at from Taiwan's angle. Yes, we want to be independent, we are Taiwanese, we want, to, we want so many things. But is that realistic? Can you do that? They are so big, we are so small. That's why we, we always say that we have to play smart. The problem is, actually, we try to promote dialogue. Actually, every time, lots of politicians said, oh, we should have a meeting that we should dialogue, we should talk about our Taiwanese future. But it never, never succeed. No, nobody really, really do that. I think the cross-strait relationship is that we have to dialogue among Taiwanese people, who we are, what is our identity. And we should talk to Chinese. Of course, we, we know your, your position, yes, and you have to realize our position. And, and then we dialogue. Then you will find that actually it's not, of course, it's difficult, but it's challenging, it's fun. It's a lot of, it's a, actually it's a crisis and it's a, a lot of opportunity. So I would say uh, Taiwan people, Taiwan's government, we have to play smart. Of course, in, uh, we have to um, admit the fact there are millions of Taiwanese, they now live in China. They invest in China. And we have to admit that a lot of younger generation Taiwanese, they work in China. So there's something you cannot close the door anymore. And in the past, in probably back 20, 30 years ago, it's the Taiwanese businessmen who opened the Chinese market, helped them to boost their economy. But unfortunately, is our government at that time did not play a very successful role. We are, at that time, they said, slow down, be careful, so we lose all the opportunity. And Korean government, a lot of foreign government, they're using their opportunities, and then, then they enjoy, enjoy the, the growth of our economy. And due to political reason, we, we are the one who opened the door, but we did not enjoy the, the outcome, and even suffer from the outcome. So I would say, no matter, of course, we, we hope, we believe we can win the, win the election. And I would say the very first thing is we dialogue among Taiwanese people. Even it will take one year, even take two years, at least we have come up with agreement. 
And then talk to the Chinese people. Yes, we agree. Of course, uh, lots of people say status quo. But what's the definition of status quo? It's because it's a loosely defined concept. It can be very different. Again, dialogue, transparent. And of course, you have to believe that in Taiwan, we are so many people, there's a wide spectrum. You cannot please everybody. Now, the cross-strait policy from President Ma's administration is he wants to please, please everybody. There's no way you can please everybody. You have to make the direction, and we have to play smart. So I would say, and again, my experience, talk to Chinese in China. They always, the very first experience Chinese come to Taipei said, wow, such a small, you are building so, it's a small city, and we are much richer than you are. But then he comes twice and three times, then he can enjoy the Taiwanese value. So that for us, the Taiwanese, we should find our own identity, and we should find our own value. And what we should find, the existence of Taiwan is to the best, best benefit of the so-called pan-Chinese community. So actually, there's a lot of opportunity. And then I will say, again, the most important thing is dialogue. There's something lacking in our government operation. So there's something we are, to, we have to, we are going to promote. Cross-strait relationship will never be easy. But, and you have to, we, as a Taiwanese, we have to work. We have to work. We have to play smart. So our party, I think, we are a very small party, so we know how to play smart. So we know how to dialogue among the big parties and dialogue to our younger generation. With this experience, when we are in the government in the next week, then we are starting to play smart. Dialogue among Taiwanese and dialogue with Chinese. And this is the only way, I think. Thanks for listening to the ICRT 2016 Presidential Election Roundtable. Our speakers today were Eric Huang of the KMT, DPP Secretary General Joseph Wu, former Minister Li Hongyuan, Dr. Yu Shan Wu of Academia Sinica, and Dr. Eric Yu of Zhengzhou University. Your host for the last hour was Gavin Phipps. Remember to keep it tuned to ICRT FM 100 this Saturday evening for up-to-the-minute live coverage of the election that will also be hosted by Gavin Phipps and begins at 4 p.m. Also look for additional coverage of the election coming out tomorrow, that is Friday afternoon, on the Taiwan This Week podcast stream. You can most likely find that in just exactly the same place you found this podcast. And finally, want to thank the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for partnering with ICRT to make this event possible. And a big thank you out to all of our panelists for participating. For ICRT, I am Keith Benconi. See you all next time. <laughs>